All right. Introduce us, Muhammad Ismail, not the notorious criminal that wanted pro Gaddafi monster. Yeah, I was in the. I was. I was working for Libya TV at the time, and one of the producers comes in with breaking news, and he was like, "They're looking for Muhammad Ismail. Your name is Muhammad Ismail." I'm like, okay. And you're just like, I'm gonna die. <laughs> That's not fun. I don't understand this interaction, but thank you anyway. Is this a warning? I don't know. What? Do I go hide? <laughs> There's a money reward on your head. Ha ha ha. And then he just looks you, looks you into the soul. Well, that's the thing. Like, when I went to Libya, one of the hardest things for me to get was the humor. Like, if we're going to talk about heritage today, that's totally going to come up. Yes. Because, like, I just, like, I go in, I'm like, ha ha. The punchline of the joke is that she has two black eyes. It's like, <laughs> what? No, that's not funny at all. <laughs> like, why? And, like, we saw knows the joke I'm talking about. Oh, like, it's no. Like, like humor no. Welcome to Third Culture Block, a podcast where we talk about the experiences that have led us to art and who we are today. This is Mohammed Ismail with Jibril and Ahmed Mustafa. On today's episode, we will start to explore how we, as third culture kids, define our cultural identity. Yo, do you do you guys actually know any Libyan jokes? Yes. <laughs> hit me with the best one. Hit me with the best one. I am not going to hit you. Okay, so I'll tell you. I'll tell you my only. So I have two experiences of bullying in my entire life, that I can that I can remember. Anything else is shut out, or I was you know too oblivious. I'm very oblivious. Anyway, so two experiences of bullying that have like stuck with me to this day and age or three wow four am i was i bullied okay so hold on okay so three one in first grade this kid named sam said my head was big and that was that was awful i felt very attacked i kept that into me until fourth grade yes the second was in middle school when this girl had IM'd me and said, hey, what do you think of so-and-so? She's like, she's my best friend, but do you like her? And I was like, I could see myself liking her. And she printed out her, a whole IM conversation and passed it around class. I've wild, wild like TV series. She actually uh, added me on LinkedIn the other day. I said, huh, how the turntables have the table turned. <laughs> um, but anyway, the third experience is... I was in Libya, right? I was in Libya, and I like bought myself what we called shants at the time because nobody really wears shorts. Like you have to have long enough like mm-hmm. shorts so they cover your knees. The so capris. yeah, the capris, so everyone knows, hey, you can go pray anytime you want because <laughs> you're past your knees. So we called them shants um, because capris were for girls, apparently. So we got, I got my my first pair of shants. I got a new haircut from the barber down the street, and like I, I had my shirt. And I was like, I'm going to go play soccer with the kids in the street. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go be a Libyan boy. Oh, the jokes. The, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo. He's like, oh, you got something on your face? He's like, no, I don't have anything on my face. Like, yo. It's like, I literally, I know there's nothing on my face. And then they're all just there. And they pick up the ball and they won't let me touch it. I'm like, I had all of you. Oh, oh. 
But yeah, so it's not much of a joke, but it's more like, hey, it's funny to pick on people. And I'm like, no, nah, dude, no, nah, no, nah, dude. It can be funny when you are in on the joke, but when you, when you arrive in a country that you don't know that well, and you're trying your best, you know, trying to wear the shorts, trying to pull off the shorts. <laughs> exactly, you're trying to wear the shorts! I'm trying to fit in, guys. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, you're just mocked mercilessly, and you're just left there, and you you question every decision you made up until that point. It it doesn't it doesn't bode well for you at all. But the problem is, they are ruthless. When they see you down, they will go after you even harder. They were like ha ha ha. <laughs> oh yes. But that's like part of the that's part of the resiliency of oh, the culture. Gosh. And then there is this one thing that my 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 mom's uncle. Um, he does Bob's this thing where he checks to see if your shirt wrinkles or not, and which is 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 his punchline. He's like, "Oh, sure, let me see if your shirt wrinkles or it doesn't wrinkle." So he'll come in the back of your like your your arm, your what is this part of your arm? The oh, tricep. The tricep, right? And like you know, like how there's always that like lingering like skin on the back of that, that allows your body to move. Right? Yeah, and he'll just pinch it with all his might and it's just like this small little pinch but it hurts so badly and then you literally you just like you said it makes your entire you jump and he lives like he lives for that reaction and that was his like until till this day he'll just look at you get away from me Wrinkle. Get away from me. It wrinkles. It wrinkles. I have a restraining order. Yourself. It wrinkles. Right. There, we're definitely picking like the most extreme examples. Like, I think a lot of the humor is kind of built on this. Like, ha ha. Like, like for instance, this is a Libyan joke. So, for those of you who don't know, um, like even among you guys, I don't know if you know this, but like. The blondes of Libya are the Tarhunis. So, like, yeah. if, like, oh, like, you give a, like, the Tarhuni joke or whatever. There was once a Tarhuni. So, there's this one of this Libyan joke where it's like, so there was once a Tarhuni stuck in a well. And the guy comes up and says, oh, do you need some help out? And he's like, yeah, can I, can you throw down, like, a rope or something? And so the guy goes, finds a rope, and he throws it down the well. And he's like, yeah, just tie it around yourself and I'll pull you up. So, the Tarhuni ties the rope around himself, and the guy pulls him up. And the Tarahuni had wrapped it around his neck, and he hung himself and died. And it was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> like everyone's like, oh, no. oh, it's like, no, literally, the guy just, he's dead. Like, why, what, where was the humor here? But there's also like really bad Western. There's yeah. like all the 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 one of my least like the worst jokes out there, and people are like, oh, it's so funny. The dead baby joke. Oh. oh, they make my skin just crawl. Yeah, like there are the, dead baby jokes. jokes the dead about baby jokes. And then there's the yo mama jokes. Oh my and then God. there's the uh, there's like the anti jokes or whatever. <sighs> it's like why did Timmy fall off the swing? It's like oh, because he didn't have any arms. <laughs> knock knock. Who's so there? Uh, not Timmy. <laughs> it's like like yeah. So like I feel like if you just deliver humor dry sometimes it's it's evident how horrible it is but it's funny because of the delivery and the shock factor yeah so i, I don't want to take all be like oh this is what libyan humor is there's other there's like funny stuff there's fun actual funny like stuff that libyan humor finds funny we're just picking out the stuff that's just oh my God. huge disconnect
so yeah, I'm writing this book right now, and like I'm very interested in trying to set out like kind of a desert scene and trying to set out like nomadic tribal kind of ideas. It's it's an idea. It, basically, I'm thinking about the thought initially behind it. It's kind of changed since then, but kind of steampunky. It's like if such and such thing didn't happen, where would society have gone? Oh, you know, if steam power, if electricity didn't become a big thing and steam power was the was the main craze that kind of created steampunk. So if Arabia was a certain way and then it didn't get imperialism, colonialism and all the other isms just like all up in its business, how would the modern iteration of, you know, kind of the Bedouin existence turn out you know mm. so yeah so that was the initial idea and i definitely kind of parking lot did that to my short stories i think i kind of want to explore that there maybe it'll become a book one day but in even in the book that i am writing now there are still bedouin kind of amazidi like north african maghribi elements right and so there's the issue of oh yes i'm libyan american but also, part of being Libyan nowadays means you have PTSD as part of, like, the cultural identity. Like, everyone is so traumatized from all the imperialism, colonialism, and, you know, the current, current revolution current. and infighting civil wars, you know? So, in trying to kind of talk about and write North African fantasy, I, one, don't... Like I am Libyan American, and I'm trying to write a Libyan American narrative. But in trying to write that, I'm kind of I have to kind of lean into some of the stereotypes that kind of come from mm-hmm. being outside of that. And the reason I had to lean into those stereotypes is because I don't know if I'm if I'm qualified enough, or if I if I'm you know culturally allowed to talk about things that I've experienced personally from the Arab side or that I've seen friends and family experience personally from the Arab side. I think it boils down to the idea of the double shafra, right? The two SIM cards. Uh, You have the one SIM card, which is Libyan, and then you have the other SIM card, which is somewhere else. And that second SIM card makes you not as Libyan, if that makes sense. It's almost used as a derogatory term, right? Yeah, one hundred. I think it's been kind of appropriated, not appropriated, like claimed by you know the third culture Libyans, and so double shafra is not a big bad anymore. Um, but it has been used as a like term yeah. of derision, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you've been called double shafra before, been right? In a negative connotation, and it, and it was also like I remember this one person was like. You double shafra, all the double shafras coming to Libya, and you messed everything up, and then you stole money, and then you left. And I was like, um, "Are you ta- are you talking talk about me? Because last time last time I checked, I was I was there. I was physically cleaning the streets, and I left empty-handed. And I, I can guarantee, if you look at my bank account, if you look at my dad's bank account, he's got nothing." That's crazy suspicious going on here of us, you know, going in. Plus, I would argue if you have one phone with two SIM cards, that's <clears> way <throat> cheaper than two phones with two separate SIM cards. You know, we're actually the bargain Libyans. Uh, so. I'm just saying. I'm just, just saying. saying. <laughs> Sometimes I even ask, like, is it jealousy? Like, do you want to be? The, but the, like, oh, and you guys do everything. You Living outside in the States, you have it all. You have it 
like all made up for you you have it easy you have it just you are you double shelf us you have nothing to complain about like we are not allowed to have anything to complain about but that's not saying like all libyans do that i think it's just that sentiment is there right yeah yeah and even even libyans when it's when it's taken yeah, when it's taken into a negative connotation, that that's where it rolls. Yeah, you know? and it's based solely on the the misconception of Libyans still inside of Libya, who assume that because we live in the UK or the US or Europe or wherever it may be outside of Libya, that we are living this high life. Yeah, uh, we've never worked hard a day in our lives. We don't have to work for our for a living. Our parents are just chilling with their feet. One hundred percent. No yeah. worries. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who's worked as hard as my dad. As a doctor working for the NHS, he's still working through this whole COVID thing. At the age he's, he's at, he could take more time off than he already has. But he's decided to keep working. Right. And no. if you compare that to a lot of people, again, not to say everyone in Libya, but these are just, we're speaking strictly on our own experiences. A lot yeah. of people in Libya do not even go into work and yet mm-hmm. take a monthly salary. But they also, not only do they want a monthly salary, they want a mudir's, a manager's salary. So they want to be in, in a... In your, they and I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a product of kind of the system, right? And your company should provide a con for you. All those things. I think there's like a lot, like the, the common stereotype whenever... So whenever I'm interested, it kind of comes on and off of trying to pour my life into activism like libyan activism the constant counter argument is oh i want to try and bring this to libya or like you know try and grassroots something and the example that comes up it's if you bring a foreign person say Mm -hmm. oh you don't know my experience and they can't teach us anything they're just trying to like change us and 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 there's this kind of like almost wahhabian idea that comes up where it's like oh the innovation is bad and and like if someone tries to change our traditions then they're evil so there's like okay if that's a foreign person if you bring like a double shafra it's like oh just because you were out do you think you know blah 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 whatever and then yeah yeah, and then if you bring a libyan it's like oh the libyan's underqualified if they're if they're libyan they there's no way they're qualified to teach anything So there's an, a very interesting book by Tamim Al-Ansari called Destiny Disrupted. It is one of the greatest books I've ever read. And he talks about the trajectory of Islam following the death of the Prophet, peace be upon him, up until the 20th century. And once he gets into the age of colonization of the Muslim world, he actually says that it was divided within three camps the first camp became hyper conservative and hyper fundamentalist of like no we have been colonized because we've left the fundamentals of islam therefore we have to reject everything western and just go back to our fundamentals as muslim nations the second camp said no 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 we were colonized because we are not western enough we need to adopt everything western and leave behind this archaic identity as Muslim nations. And the third camp, which makes the most sense to me, was a bit of both. We are Muslims by identity. That is our foundation. However, not everything the West has to offer is bad. 
take the good from the West and we keep what is good from us. Unfortunately, the latter was the quiet minority amongst all three. It's funny you should say the quiet minority because like the thing that comes up a lot in North Africa now is the quiet majority. There's all this, this quiet majority of very middle road kind of third way um, uh, Muslims or Arabs that kind of show up in North Africa. But they aren't really active because it's super counterculture. It's it's funny that the party, the people with that sentiment continue to grow, but the overarching kind of mainstream is, at least for Libya, and um, is this kind of conservatism. And something that, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but if you go back a couple generations, you get these really kind of hippie Libyans who are kind of open to certain things, you know, like your grandpa versus like your, your grandpa was like, oh yeah, no, we can do this or that. It's like a little less conservative than the recent generations, if that makes sense. Um, it depends on like the way you look at quote unquote conservative or um, in, in the context, but like, uh, mentality wise I think my grandpa like or like that generation um, they were more he or I think in this context he's more of that like middle ground man where he was like we take the good things from the west and we leave out the things that don't kind of go hand in hand with what we believe in um, and then it was because but it was also like my grandpa um, his daughters, like my mom and my aunts, were one of like the first in our like family kind of thing to wear hijab and all that fun stuff. So it's interesting to see everyone's perspective and interpretation, I guess, of being religious or not religious or conservative or not conservative or whatever. Um, because it's oh, that family is the ones they they. They all wore hijab before all of us, blah, blah, blah. So they're more closed-minded and conservative. All while at the same time, like, my grandfather and my mom and, and her siblings and everybody, they traveled and, and a lot of other people, like, didn't. and Or they, or my grandfather is really um, supportive. And, for example, like, me, when I was living there with them, anything and everything I did, he had my back. It's difficult to kind of write, you know, culturally aware art from North Africa because it is, in a certain sense, like our heritage is viewed as kind of backwards by, you know, a modern standard. Mm -hmm. Whereas in recent years, you've seen kind of the value of, oh, community-based policing not so rather than having some strangers come out and police your neighborhoods you have your community who's there and knows everyone there and kind of can support each other Mm -hmm. that's like a really great way to support people and to avoid um escalations of aggression and and you know in your in your neighborhood and that idea that tribal idea is very core to kind of the arab identity Mm -hmm. but you have this influence of individualistic ideas from 
you know, specifically America, I see that a lot. That's my experience. But moving into Libya, so now we've got, rather than the core idea was building up your tribe, your community, um, how is your parents? It's kind of, oh, I can just smuggle things over across the border on the black market, F the country, F everyone else, I'm making a lot of money. And so you have a mm. lot of very rich Libyans now who are just, you know, looking out for number one rather than, yeah. yeah. It's difficult to use your cultural heritage when whenever you go back to Libya, you are seen as not Libyan enough. So you don't feel accepted within that society or that community or even that cultural understanding yeah or culturally understood or culturally understood exactly so you don't know what to take you don't understand the culture enough so you don't know what to take Mm -hmm. from it you're also raised like in a version of it that your parents had you know i don't know you you probably have this experience where the libya that the libyan culture i was raised in was what my parents kind of had in their heads when they came to the states because they couldn't go back to libya so it's like this is how Libyans yeah, are, yeah, you yeah. know. And then I come back and it's like, oh, this is, thing. This is something has me. changed within me. <laughs> <laughs> there was this whole, and I feel like it's also going to happen. Like the farther we get generation-wise, the worse it's gonna get. But there was this whole fantasy world that my parents um, like painted. Like um, 70s Libya? Stories, yeah, mm-hmm. with the stories of, like, during Eid, the family gets together for mm. this, blah, 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 and then this, and then, like, all of these, like, high, like, familial expectations and how fun it is and blah, 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 and the Zerdas every Friday and, like, there's just all of these beautiful images in our heads and then when we finally were able to go, um, we, there was, like, every now and then we'd go for the Zerda thing um, when I finally experienced Eid in Libya, uh, <laughs> I was extremely disappointed. Um, I learned how to add Baharov real quick from A to Z. Why? Because nobody else was there to do it with me. So I did it with my grandpa. You slaughtered the sheep yourself. Yeah, we did the whole the whole and thing, and then the Zerda is a picnic. Zerda is a picnic. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. So we the the slaughtering the sheep and the the skinning and the whole graphic. Let's not get into there. But yeah, <laughs> it just and then after that, Good times. It, it, so I. Very, mm. like, I just found myself extremely disappointed with how the times has changed. And right. everyone's like, well, everyone's busy with their family and everyone's doing this and everyone's doing and, that. And that's the thing. It's just like we have this this olden version that's this yeah. idealist, idealized version of these immigrants who had to leave the country because of dictatorship and government. And so we have this version of Libya in our heads that might have existed back in the day, but certainly doesn't exist it, now. Yeah, and then it's, and the sad part is that my Libya was different from my parents' experience of Libya growing up, and then our children's generation in the future, and all that, like, they're, they're gonna hear Mama and Baba's version of Libya, and I'm gonna take them back to Libya, and then they're gonna be extremely disappointed, because none of the stuff that Right. We talk about and I think ul- ultimately who owns the culture then? It's like, ah. the people in Libya who own the culture? Like, yeah. now that you've been wrecked with with yeah. civil war do you own the culture or are these like silos of 
culture that manifests outside these idealized versions. And then and then you get into trying to write about it, and you're like, I'm going to write about the, the Libya that I learned about. The Libya that we learned about, not only was it in a time that we missed, it was also portrayed to us by people who, like you said, had to leave the country for one reason or another, or chose to leave a country for a better life, who romanticize their memory of it and every single generation does that it's not it's not a it's not necessarily a bad thing but every single generation has a tendency to romanticize oh you know back in my day or when i was younger this was this and we used to do this back in the days yeah yeah i think it's more generational yeah because even 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 there like even in um, even among my, my, my like older relatives, they're like, oh, well, back in our days, we used to do this differently. And, and their, their stories <laughs> add up, right? <laughs> but their stories. And I'm just, I'm disappointed. I'm like, why, why can't, why can't that still be a thing? You know, why can't right. we still do this? So the, we're looking for Friday? authentically, authentically Libyan cultural ideas or yeah. experiences. But yeah, even if you go further back, you kind of start entering like what we were first talking about Berber or Bedouin kind of things. It's so foreign almost to what the current Libyan right. identity is. Because you kind of had imperialism come in, set up arbitrary borders. Um, and that cut in through the middle of tribal lands. And so you have suddenly this nationalist idea of Libya, right? Libya is a nation and a country by itself, even though North Africa altogether was its own, its thing, own thing. Right. Yeah. And now, okay, so now we've made these arbitrary borders, like literally almost a box shape on, on, the, top of, on the top of Africa. And if you're in this box, you're Libyan. And so this new identity is formed even though at the roots of all of it is this this kind of berber bedouin thing and that it feels like if i try to um address any of that or bring that like if you try to bring berber designs into your art mm-hmm. if i try to bring bring bedouin traditions like abusing different words to describe you mm-hmm. know caravan elements or or anything it's like i'm relying on these the research of third party people going on to Bedouins because it is an oral tradition you know and our history is an oral yeah. tradition so it's it's a very complicated problem because the identity in Libya is so determined by what's going on and there are so many people who have this uh it's almost like a, a frozen version of the the Libyan cultural identity um, outside of the country, and it hasn't been updating. So, it you 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 end up having these cases where it's like, oh, this is this is what Libyan means. Like if you're on the ground, Libyan, but then that entire identity is formulated by all of these outside influences. Is that still Libyan, even though it's kind of quote unquote tainted, or is it the untainted? idealistic versions that people take out or is it um we need to kind of go back to our roots you know it it, it, it so when you when you try to, to write about it it's like you're you're never going to be talking about a authentic libyan experience because the version of libya what that, does it mean yeah well there's yeah. no the the definition is is very like cattywampus yeah.
so everyone's experience of a of Nibia growing up in Nibia um, is a hundred percent different. So for you, for someone, and I learned this the hard way, right? Like it was just thrown in my face. For one person to say they know the Libyan experience is totally incorrect, and or they know like they're the most cultured Libyan, like in terms of the most Libyan Libyan in the Libyan club, or they're Libyan enough to be in a Libyan club right, or whatever. Right. Um, and I just, I just, I find that to be something that needs to be embraced um, because the Libyan culture in on its own is so dynamic and so diverse and so mm-hmm. intertwined. And it is literally, it's, it's an actual melting pot because it has, you have dating back you have the roman you have the greek influence you have the italian influence you have the ottoman turk influence you have the the bedou lifestyle like deeply rooted in the tribal lifestyle and and um at some point the brits were there too and and so all of this historically just makes a big cluster bomb of like but not an actual bomb. Um, <laughs> Bad taste. Bad taste. This Arab podcast does not I, condone explosive exactly. jokes. It was a, a joke, guys. It was a genuine, like, full disclaimer. This is, I don't actually mean that. Anyways, I thought you no. were trying to say cluster F, but you said bomb instead. And I was I like, <laughs> I said cluster bomb like a, I didn't want to say the F word. Yeah, she didn't want to, Jeff, you didn't, she didn't want to drop the F bomb. Hey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm here all week. Try the veal and the hummus. It is delightful. <laughs> oh my god. Even down to tra- traditions or recipes. There's no one right way of doing mbotlin, for example. Everyone does it differently, but in the end, it tastes relatively similar. And at the end of the day, but there's it's a right mbotlin. way. <laughs> there is a right way. I'm just saying, there is. I've had a mbotlin from other people. I'm and d- nobody making like Mama do. That's, and okay. That's a personal. <laughs> that's, and that's a, a personal, personal fact. That is. <laughs> Can we just explain okay. to the listeners what mbotlin is? Mbotlin is God's great gift on this earth. You have your hamburger. Now replace that hamburger patty and put in some meat and veggies. Replace the buns. Put in some potatoes. <laughs> you bread that bad boy and fry it and batter up and batter fry up it. and put it in the tum tum. Everything that tastes is some, really good when it's fried. I'm but sure this, that description did not help nope. anybody. Actually, but, if I was listening, so I you just—it's basically like you make a potato sound sandwich. Good. You make is the potato sandwich stuffed with veggies and beef and then you fry the whole thing sometimes lamb instead of beef excellent and that is the button responsible for the bulging of my belly button (laughs) (laughs) you're cutting that out you're cutting that out that is staying in 100% that is staying in no oh my god I miss a button I wish I had more button I love Libyan food. Like it's funny the, you say that. You can just eat it with your hands. It's incredible. Like I love the food that you just put your hands in it, and then you put your hand in your mouth, and you, you repeat until you can't breathe. Taking all of that into consideration, 
Yes. How does one begin to even identify one's cultural identity in order to be influenced by it in the first place? When having such a nebulous identity, it's difficult to say what is the true thing. If we want to continue as a people to identify as a single national body, Libya, and create a Libyan identity, then I think we're actively pursuing that, you know? Uh, Right now, we're in the middle of a civil war, which is, you know, part of defining who we are. If we want to have you know, people who got pushed out to come back and try to inform that, at its core, identity is going to be influenced from across the board. The problem comes when someone comes as an authority on Libyan identity, claiming that there's some consensus on what a Libyan is. I am not sure that we really have that right now, um, if we're pursuing kind of this nationalistic identity. Personally, I think it would be great if all of the Maghreb region, like North Africa, kind of came together and and did an interchange exchange of identity to kind of make... Because there's so many similarities. But that's not the case. The problem is, what do I do with my Libyan identity, you know? Um, I have my American identity that is... We're, continually being written every day that America exists but then I have my Libyan identity that is in a way archaic it doesn't actually exist in any country in the world and I just kind of have to update those archives to almost a third identity where I have my Libyan identity when I'm here in the states with my you know community And then I have my Libyan identity when I'm overseas, which is kind of second-class Libyan, you know. But you almost become an ambassador for Libya when you are outside of Libya. Right. Because a lot of the time, with, with such a small population, a lot of the time you are the only or one of few Libyans some people will ever come across. Yeah. So you are, in their eyes, the the epitome of what a Libyan is. Mm -hmm. Right. I am Libya to you, yeah. you know? I, to most people, Libya is, oh, Gaddafi. It's like, ah, uh, mm. we don't. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, literally, like, that's the first thing. Yeah, can I just say the worst thing you can say to a Libyan is, oh, where are you from? Oh, Libya. Oh, Libya, Gaddafi. Don't, don't. Ooh. Just, just no, don't. No, just don't. Like, oh. read, read up about it. I mean, you have several facts you can say. Population of six million. It's been six million for about three decades. I don't know why, but it's it's lingered on that number for some reason. We're good um, at the balancing. We need to do a census. We have camels. Wow. We have gazelles. We have camel parking lots. <laughs> Nobody we uses. We have we have internet, which which yeah, I mean, shows up from time lack, to time. Yeah. And that's, 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 as that's, long as there's electricity, then, mm. but it's there. Well, we usually have electricity. Yeah, speaking of electricity, it's it's also there from time to time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if, as long as we have gas, we have the generators, <coughs> we have electricity. Yeah. Which we're in a rich country, so we should be fine. But one thing we do have in abundance is culture. 
which makes this whole conversation so confusing as to what a Libyan is. That's what, that was an excellent, excellent transition. I mean, I'm just, Full no, circle. I'm just saying, I mean, Full circle. this man. Full circle. I'm, I'm sorry. Wow. Full circle. If you were to ask the Tuareg what it means to be a Libyan, he will give you a very different answer to someone who was born and raised in the capital city of Tripoli, who will give you a very yeah. different answer to the Tabu, who will give yep. you a very right. different answer to the Amazir, who will give you a very different answer to people who have never yeah. been to Libya, but their parents are Libyan. Right. If, if, and if even if you ask like a Tuareg, like who was, you know, actually living nomadically in the south of, of Libya, like those tribes kind of go across the borders all the time. Like they just kind of... They don't recognize the borders. It means nothing to them. <laughs> right. It's just like, oh, what is even Libyan? You know, like what is that even, you know? And, and for me, that's just wild just to think about how these arbitrary lines determined by other countries define us um, and the, the space that we can occupy. The idea of when with the, with the whole imperialism and colonialism and how it like it tainted culture for people like it's just oh no that is considered barbaric. So if you are um, if you're nomadic and Bedouin and you're just going literally going with the wind, that is considered and deemed as barbaric. And I'm mad at that. Also, going back to the whole, if you, if, uh, being an ambassador uh, um, to Libya, and when you talk about Libya, and you're just like, oh yeah, in Libya, we have, this is a thing that I love to say, just to see how ignorant people can be, is I tell them, yeah, we have camels there, yeah. Because they'll ask, like, do you guys have camels? Yeah, of course we have camels. We have a lot of camels. We have so many camels, we have camel parking lots. You know, it's designated parking spots for your camel. Hell and then yeah. they're just like, wow. I'm like, no, you idiot, we don't have that. It's not what it's like, you know? But it's just, it just, to them, it's just this, ooh, just... Agrabah. But also the same <laughs> thing. I, I'm from like born in born in Texas. Everyone's like, "Oh, do you ride a horse to school?" Can I tell you the number of times people have asked me that? Like, Gosh. honestly, riding a horse to school? Are you kidding me? It just it it and it, so global. But you have this ideology that if a culture has that, that means they are barbaric or behind in the times or like I I just. I want to go back in time, rewind time, right? And and just call them out and be like, no, this this is not. I just find like, well, that's the, what I'm saying. It's know, just it like just makes me so mad. The history already happened, right? Yeah. And that defines our culture, whether we want it to or not. It's a matter of where we go from here. But does it? I feel it, like it does. It right? defines well in a sense. Like you, you have influences that have been just adopted into our culture mm -hmm. quote-unquote mm -hmm. over time and i just um i think like we can revitalize like yeah. roots for sure like some things in the root uh like from our roots can be revitalized and i think that's something that oh i'm trying to find my identity outside of libya like all of us third culture kind of uh libyans are 
oh, I want to go back to my roots and kind of find who I am, you know, um, we'll be looking for those, those old things to revitalize. But we can't disregard the culture that's kind of developed there. It's not like, oh, this Petri dish is bad. Let's nuke it and then put in our, you know, quote unquote, enlightened uh, Libyan identity that is begotten of mm. historical accounts or whatever, you know. Yeah. The, the very people who chose to divide North Africa, Asia and the Arabian Peninsula had no idea of the cultures no. that existed at the right. time. So as an example, the person who divided up India and Pakistan was a British lawyer by the name of Cyril right. Radcliffe. He had never, ever been to India. So he never had mm. a deep understanding of the different cultures, the religious diversity, the, or even the, 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 the universal cultural traits between the people. He simply looked at what majority was in each region whether it was a Muslim majority or a Hindu majority, and he split the border accordingly. Now, the really bizarre thing is one of the holiest sites for the Sikh community is based in Pakistan, which is a Muslim country. Libya, with its very straight lines, cut apart these tribes and very tone deaf. I would say arguably one of the most awful results of like arbitrary boundaries or third party European influence was is kind of the Israeli Palestinian issue, right? Where we have these people who are promised these lands but by people who don't own them and then you know, a fight kind of ensues and it's it's I'm not going to, we're not going to speak on that topic, but mm. it, it's, it's that same kind of like, there's this, oh yeah, Pakistanis hate Indians kind of, um, stereotype. And it's like, well, mm. what are Pakistanis and Indians? You know what I mean? Like, oh, their cricket teams are, you know, always like against each other. And it, it's become such a part of their identity. Like the cricket teams hate each other, but ultimately their identity was decided by this historical arbitrary drawing of lines you know so i guess what i'm saying is you know they have their identities now for better or for worse so trying to write those identities as they exist rather than as you were taught is really really hard Thank you so much for listening in. We plan on saving this last section for questions and answers from you. We'll post our topics on our Twitter and Instagram, both Third Culture Block with a three. This is Mohammed Ismail, Ahmed Mustafa, and Rustal Jibril. Bye!